How many of you were here last time? We met in this cafe, and, and so yeah, there's a few of you, cool. So I think the thing that was special about that night, and I'm not trying to dig up old stuff, I think the thing that was special about that night um, is I spoke really frankly and vulnerably about my life. Um, and for me that felt quite special because um, I struggled to trust and you guys felt like a group that wasn't going to judge. And uh, I know that, you know, as I went on with my stories and people were like, this is getting really real. Um, but um, I feel like tonight's going to be a little bit different. I want to talk about you. Uh, I don't want to talk about me, I want to talk about you. Which makes it more interesting for you because there's nothing more uh, annoying than only hearing about someone else's story. We were created for experience. We were created to be the story. Uh, we were created to celebrate other people's stories, but we, we, we were made to have an encounter. We were made to walk in a way. Um, like when we read the Bible sometimes, uh, you know, some people read it only historically and they appreciate the principles uh, of what happened in the history of the story of that person. Um, we have the Bible uh, for many reasons, but one of the primary reasons is to read the story and understand that it speaks to us and our experience today, that we are a story, we are uh, the, the, the author's uh, story of what God believed the earth needed right now. Like you didn't just end up in the Naimo uh, because of your parents or because of a job opportunity, that's such natural dualistic thinking. You are here right now because God loves a place called the Naimo, just like he loved a garden called Eden. Uh, how's this in Genesis 1, before he even said uh, that like people are amazing, even before people in the picture he looked at just the place. And he went, this is good. good. And you live in a place that God thinks is good. I mean, I drive up here and I'm like, it's beautiful. Like, your lakes are amazing. Might do me into thinking it was like an easy run around like a lake today. <laughs> and like 17 hours later, <laughs> But it's beautiful. I'm looking around and all these people look happy and they're jogging and everyone looks fit. And I'm like, this town is incredible. It's amazing. That like, you know, coming from the Southern Hemisphere, you literally live in a Christmas tree farm. Like, yeah. it's amazing. Like, look, look at the trees. I'm like, my, my, um, my pollen is struggling because we don't have trees in Australia. Like, you come here and it's like everything's a Christmas tree. It's beautiful. It's a forest. And it's amazing. Like, God did a really good job of making a place called Denoma, right? And he said it was good. But just like when he put Adam and Eve into a place called Eden, and he said, okay, this is what I want you to do with it. I want you to have dominion over it. I want you to name it. I want you to renew it. I want you to figure out um, how to work with it. I want you to shape it. I want you to be creative with it. In the exact same way, God's put your life uh, in a place that was good, and he's made it very good by putting human experience um, the highest form of creation, the only part of creation that holds breath is humanity. And so he put his breath into a place called Nanaimo, and uh, the name of that breath is... What's your name, Trevor! <laughs> Adam of Eden, Trevor of Nanaimo. You hear what I'm saying? Like, we are called to have an experience, we're called to live something up. And I want to put the responsibility on you today, so let's pray. Alright. Are we, are we tracking? Are we good? Yeah, <laughs> I always marvel at those preachers that just speak so like succinctly. I'm a bag of nerves, so just say amen and smile. <laughs> Lord, uh, I just thank you so much for song. And I thank you that it felt like tonight those songs were actually a soundtrack for what people felt. They didn't feel disingenuous. And uh, I thank you for Trevor of Remindler. And I thank you for all of his friends and all these people 
on the streets and I think for Michael Derby, just the years and 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 years of investment into this city. Thank you for Camilla, thank you for Andy, thank you for the people you put around us to help us see there's another way to live. I pray tonight you would just the rest of our hearts and set on fire. And that tonight wouldn't just be um, a cushy experience or a boring one, it would be a transformative moment for our lives uh, because we are not going to be the church that comes together with low expectations of what might happen when you are speaking to us and moving through our lives. So do great things. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. My daughter Isabella uh, was born and um, she was the first Daniel girl to be born in 63 years. Um, and that's right, my brother Tyron cannot make girls. Uh, I don't know if you know my brother leads this whole thing that you guys relate to. Um, and my dad, uh, Dudley, um, uh, was never able to make girls. So, like special people like me, uh, people need to uh, create daughters. They say that the dad is the determining factor in it. I don't know. But, um, I will say this that um, no one expected a Daniel girl to be born. Uh, this was like a special promise. Not that boys aren't special, but my girls are amazing, okay? And uh, this girl of mine, Isabella, uh, was like a promise of God that he had just held on to. Um, it's like God knew all of the irresponsibility in me and all of the mistakes I was going to make and all of the errors I'd make in life. And yet his grace is such that he goes, I will trust him with a daughter named Isabella before he does anything that he's going to do in life. And I was this kid, I have this daughter. Isabella, and uh, she's born um, on October 8th, 2015. She comes to the earth, and um, she's born um, so excited. Um, everything seems to go, be going well. Uh, suddenly, um, the, the midwife delivers Isabella into this world, and we realize that Isabella is the wrong color. Uh, she's not breathing. Um, nothing is working. This midwife is quite new, and she starts to prod Isabella. And there's no noise, there's no movement. Um, suddenly, um, I'm, I'm standing there with like a pair of scissors because like it was meant to be this awesome occasion where you like cut the placenta, or oh, the, sorry, is that right? Did I just kill somebody? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go home, Jesus' name. Um, don't remember that part of the story. <laughs> so um, I'm meant to cut the umbilical cord and like, it's just not happening because suddenly um, the, the uh, nurse grabs the scissors out of my hand, she cuts it, suddenly um, a whole bunch of doctors come in, lights are going, alarms are sounding, and Isabella is wheeled off with a group of about 20 people and is standing there alone going, oh my gosh, um, what on earth just happened? And um, Isabella uh, had her umbilical cord wrapped around her neck uh, while she was uh, coming into this world. And for over five minutes, she had no oxygen. And that would be more than enough to take out most kids. Uh, except Isabella was huge. I mean, like, she was just the biggest baby you've probably ever seen. And if it wasn't for the size of her, she wouldn't have made it. Um, but we didn't know all that at that point. All we knew was there was this promise of 63 years that had finally arrived in the glorious form of Isabella Daniel. And then suddenly, she was just out of the room. And uh, for um, what felt like an eternity, no one would tell me what was going on. No one could give me an answer. Um, I was desperate. Um, I didn't like rise up as a man of faith and boldly proclaim that she would have life in Jesus' name. I fell apart like a baby and I cried 
and I've, and, I've, and I've just started to imagine, as we do, I don't know if some of you are like this, just the worst possible scenario that could possibly be going on in that moment. And um, a little while later, a doctor came up to me and said, so I'm sorry to tell you this, but uh, it's a high probability that Isabella won't make it today. We believe that she's not going to make it. And so we think you need to settle that in your heart. And uh, I just, again, started to fall apart uh, and go crazy. And um, um, I asked if I was allowed to see her. And after some time, I was allowed to walk up to where she was. And she was this brand new, fully formed. Like everything about her looked absolutely perfect. Like fully formed, but she wasn't working. Uh, her vital signs were not telling us that the prognosis was good, okay? And um, I remember walking up to this little clear box and I was allowed to put this weird like glove thing on and I was allowed to just hold her hand and touch her hand. And for the next 24 hours, I did not move. I don't remember eating, I don't remember needing the restroom, so I would be crass. I just held on to her because everything about what mattered in life uh, was right there holding my hand um, and machines were keeping her alive and I looked over at a screen and I didn't understand what I was looking at but there was different colored lines and every time I heard a beep it was like another victory, right? Every time I, I saw something move I'm like, okay, there's hope, there's life, right? Um, so she made it through the first night and then uh, the doctors, uh, being the great uh, ease delivery people that they were, said she's sure to be brain damaged. Uh, we don't think she'll be able to function in any, in any way physically, um, even if she continues to live. Um, so we just want you to settle that in your heart. So I mean, this is like a lot to deal with in like a really short amount of time. Uh, you know, we prayed and we prayed with people from all around the world praying. Um, I don't know if you met a, a lady named Izzy, did you see me? She literally got on an airplane and flew as like this prophetic lady and walked into the room and just put hands on Ella and just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And I can tell you today, and my daughter Isabella is a teenager, she's amazing, she's gorgeous, she um, is in, has a full scholarship right now at a performing arts dance school in Sydney, Australia. She is the most incredible embodiment of life and passion, she's forgiving, she's gracious. I keep saying, I God gave you like the worst dad in the world, and she's like, I love you dad, be quiet, put your arms around me. Uh, she's just the most gracious, wonderful human being. Um, and I tell you all that to say, uh, that there was a moment now uh, where I look at her and then I, re I rewind back to that day when she was born. Every October 8th, I remember vividly everything that happened that day. And I just remember looking at a screen and seeing beeps and seeing lines going like that and going, her vital signs are good, there's hope. Her vital signs were her pulse, her temperature, her respiration rate, and her blood pressure. Her pulse working would show me that her heart was functioning and was propelling blood through her arteries. The temperature would show that the degree of internal heat in her body was acceptable. Her respiration uh, showed me that she was inhaling and she was exhaling, and her blood pressure was telling us uh, that blood was going at the right rate to different parts of her body. Uh, she wasn't um, in a potential um, uh, going kind of crazy and, and struggling and stressing and she wasn't uh, losing consciousness. Her pressure was right. Her vital signs were working as you can tell not a doctor in terms of how I just describe that. Um, it got me thinking um, recently around this idea that everything about where we are right now, whether we're aware of it or not, is a trajectory uh, pointing us to where we will end up. 
your future self is on a collision course with your present self and your future you is going to meet you at some point you're going to look back on life maybe it'll take you a while to be aware of it you'll look back at life one day and you'll go there were decisions that i've made at various parts of my life that now find me in a place uh, of my own doing yes god has led me here yes he's brought me here but it's always a partnership it's never just me and it's never just him it's the idea that christ in us is the hope of glory in us the inner voice the holy spirit is the one who's guiding our steps uh, the scriptures give us wisdom and power for life church uh, worship all those things are such incredibly important parts of who we are uh, but where you're at right now, even if you're in the best church in the whole world, I wonder what your spiritual vital signs are telling you about where you're at right now. And I just kind of felt like maybe tonight um, we were meant to check your pulse. Uh, maybe tonight, uh, like do it with me because it's really weird if I just say that about you. Uh, maybe tonight you're meant, to, you're meant to take your temperature. Maybe tonight you're meant to be honest about your respiration and your blood pressure in a spiritual sense. Okay. Um, so the writer... Of Revelation, John says this. Uh, this is Jesus talking to the church in Sardis. Don't take this personally. Hear the words and then think about how um, we shouldn't be offended by these words and how we might be able to put them in our lives. Everyone awake and cool? Yeah. Yeah. You need to stand up and stretch for something? Or we go? Yeah. All right, cool. He says, Let's write this to Sardis, to the, to the angel of the church, the one holding the seven spirits of God in one hand, a firm grip on the seven stars with the other. And he speaks and he says this I see right through your work. You have a reputation for vigor and zest, but you're dead, stone, dead. The very next thing that Jesus says after he says, you are dead, stone dead, he says, up on your feet. Let's not forget that death is not the end of the story. Right now, you could literally be sitting in that seat with no pulse, and Jesus says to you, up on your feet, because he is not only a restorer, he is a resurrector. He's a rewriter of stories that we think are possibly dead. He says, up on your feet, take a deep breath. Maybe there's life in you yet, but I wouldn't know it by looking at all your busy work, externalities. Nothing of God's work, internalities, has been completed in you. Your condition is desperate. This is a church that thinks they're doing really well. It's like you guys are in a desperate situation if you're really honest with yourselves and honest with God, right? Think of the gift you once had in your hands, the message you heard with your ears. Grasp it again. In other words, make it yours again. Like, is our infatuation, as Kath said, with the songs or the hearer of the song? Like, you've got to make this romance, you've got to make this divine romance yours again. I, I stood up here like a few years ago and told you about my messy divine romance. Tonight, I just want you to think about your messy, beautiful divine romance that you have with God. And I just want to ask you, like, is it yours? Like, are you sucked in because of sound or momentum or the feeling of belonging? As important as all of those things are, and I live for moments where the sound is amazing. And momentum is with the church and things are happening around us that are exciting. But in all of the busyness, we can be dead. Stone dead in all of the busyness of doing ministry in the kingdom of God. Up on your feet, he says. Take a deep breath. I love the imagery. Take a deep breath. Where did breath start for us? 
in a garden, right? When God took us as the only point of creation and breathed into us and put grace in dirt. Grasp it again and turn back to God. So I just want to talk really quick. I keep saying that and taking a long time. I want to talk really quick uh, about your pulse rate, about your personal temperature, about your respiration rate, and about your blood pressure. But before I do, let's pray again. Please close your eyes. And please don't, please don't bow your heads. Um, it, it speaks to, um, to me, at least tonight, around um, some sort of confession. I just feel like God wants you to know you're invited. So lift your head up, close your eyes, and uh, let's just pray. Lord, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to, to, to you right now and saying, Father, mercy in your kids and speak to us. I'm speaking of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And say so emerge, break out past all the pain, break out past all the consensus and break out past all the decision making that we currently find ourselves in. And I pray Lord you would do a deep work in all of our hearts tonight in Jesus' name. When your pulse is working well, two things are happening. Your heart is functioning, and there's a rhythm to it. Like pulse is like the rhythm of the function of your heart, right? Um, and I just want to say to you tonight, in terms um, of your heart, um, is your heart, is, is the heart, the, the new heart that God's put in you through resurrection power, Andy said this so beautifully, I had to write it down, eternal life has already started for you in Christ Jesus. In that resurrection power, that new creation power that you find yourself in now as a son and a daughter of God, is your heart consistent in love and in grace? Jesus said, by this will people know that you're my people, that you love one another. Is that new heart that doesn't judge, that doesn't cling to a religious system, that doesn't weigh people's value against their behavior, but sees the image of God in all of humanity and loves people because God loved us before we said sorry. Do we beat with that sort of heart? Are we consistent in our life? Is there a rhythm to your love or do you love hot and cold? Like do you need the defibrillators or is the pulse working? We all want grace. We, 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 we cry out for it. But are we giving it? Is our heart beating uh, the blood of Jesus through everything that we see, everything that we believe, the redemptive love, the promised love, the hope love, the healing love, is grace and love um, pouring through every single one of us. Can I set you free with, uh, with this comment? You are not the exception to love and grace. We live like we are so often though, right? We're moved by these great feats of mercy. We look at Mother Teresa's life and we go, oh my gosh, it's so inspiring. And then someone cuts us off on the road and we're like, what? <laughs> or like we're treated badly. Like how many of you have ever been rejected? Or how many of you have ever been betrayed and lied to? Like that, in that moment, it's almost like the pulse can stop and something in us can start to die. 
But I would ask you tonight, if Jesus is not only the one we sing to, but the one who from the inside of us sets our value system and reframes our lenses to see everything that happens in life as a test or a blessing, something he's trying to teach us through every circumstance. If love is truly alive in us, then it will be consistent and it will function in rhythm, ongoing rhythm, ongoing rhythm, ongoing rhythm. There will be a pulse of the heart of God for everything that happens. Let's talk about your temperature. And it's like a million degrees in here tonight, right? Is it just me because I'm like dancing around the screen? But let's talk about your internal temperature. Um, when you measure the vital signs, as I want to measure your vital signs tonight, of temperature, it measures the degree of internal heat in, in you, internal heat, not external heat. Not like we're all swept up in everyone else's passion, but the internal heat inside of us. Um, one of my favorite uh, chapters in the whole Bible that I just constantly find myself going back to because I think my life kind of echoes it and I just I feel it and it speaks to me in such a powerful way is Psalm 84. And uh, it talks about how lovely God's dwelling place is. And um, that word lovely is so strange because if you get to the, the Hebrew root of that word, it's doubt, which means to boil. I'm going to hear the word lovely. I'm going to think of boiling. But I hear lovely, and oh, so lovely. It was like birds flying by, and it's like that Westwood Lake again. That's lovely, right? But the psalmist says, How lovely, how down. Like when I, when I think about where you live, I boil up. I boil up. And I'm just going to say to you guys, I don't feel like I've got much right to speak to you on this tonight because I saw your countenance in worship. So let me, instead of like giving you a heavy word, let me just commend you and say, Keep going after that passion inside of you. Jesus is not only the God of your friends, he's not only the God of Oceanside, he's the God of Trevor. <laughs> From the inside. And so Trevor doesn't come here to, I don't know why I'm picking on you, but it was, it like, I think because you look like Chris Martin or something, and I'm um, and I just feel like it's really kind of awesome vibe with you or something. But, um, but is he the God who puts the heat on the inside of you? Is he the God that puts the heat on the inside of you? And just, can you just ask yourself that question? Do you know how to boil? Or are you so, see, to me, boiling isn't around always around your desire frame. I think most of the people in this room just love God desperately. Um, if you uh, don't take the time to put yourself on a boiler and say, I am not going to be distracted for the next five minutes by my phone, uh, by the latest thing that's trending in the world, whatever it might be. Um, you know, it's really hard to boil for God. I hate to offend you. It's really hard to boil for, for God if we're always doing this. Kind of puts us at the center of our own story constantly. And I, like I'm an old guy talking about selfies, I get that. But at the end of the day, I, I just want to say to you, there is something more than how you are promoting yourself to be publicly. Yes. Uh, and if you waste the best moments of your life, 
fixated by the likes, by public approval, uh, by trying to look a certain way because you glorify the body image thing or something, you're going to miss out in that pursuit of the most beautiful mystery of all, and that is knowing God with the breath that you have uh, in these 750,000 hours or whatever it is like there. Did everyone over 40 just say amen? Was that my <laughs> the first, the, the third um, thing that we test ourselves on in vital signs, like are we actually alive or are we just busy, right? The third thing I want you to ask yourself about is your respiration, your breathing. So I wrote to do something really profound with me. It's actually in America. Let you go. Do it again, please. Okay, I'm going to let you in on a very embarrassing secret in my life. Did you know that Kathy, who is a personal trainer and is amazing, helped me realize recently that for many, many years I've been breathing wrong. <laughs> I've been breathing tense, like when you're like having a panic attack, for years. It's affected my sleep, it's affected my peace. Literally, Kathy helped me to breathe in a way that I'm meant to breathe. And that night, I had the best sleep that I've had in years. And since then, I feel like I'm a different person. You know when you breathe? This is, this is very awkward. I'm wearing a black shirt to cover it up here a little bit. But uh, when you breathe, you're actually meant to breathe it down here. And that part of you is meant to get bigger. I've been breathing like this for years. Short of breath, into my chest not download, and I realized that I've just been making myself tense because I've lost my understanding of the wonder and the power of the miracle of just breathing. Do you think about breathing? More often than not, we don't. But breath reminds us uh, of a powerful thing, that God started that flow in the second that he made humanity. Uh, that we are always, breath teaches us that we're taking something in constantly, and we're releasing something. I'm not trying to sound on the age on you or whatever. I just want you to like look at how God made us and give him glory about it and go, hey, everything about creation is teaching us about the kingdom of God. And all of Jesus' teaching was like cultural norms, cultural abnormalities, stuff in creation, stuff in the trees, stuff in our bodies, right? So let me just talk about that for a second and just say to you um, that you are always taking something in. Breath reminds us that we are always taking something in. Like when we went to the terminal at Swasimbulan, <laughs> to us, there you go. Um, I made it sound like Uzbekistan or something. Like that. But to us, yeah. I don't like me. Last time I was driving through there, it was raining. It smelled awesome. Uh, on the way up here, have any of you ever driven through there, like when it's hot and just breathe? Whether I know that I breathe or not, I knew I was breathing every single second that I was breathing as I drove through that place. I think there's like agricultural stuff going on there. But the whole thing smelled like one massive flower and it blew it on the water. It was like for ages, it was just like breathing in, breathing in. I knew I was breathing. I knew that I was taking something in. Can I tell you that right now, 
You are taking something in, in every conversation, in every thought, in everything that you decide to engage in. You know, sometimes our parents or people that are wiser than us say, just don't do that. And one day when you're my age, you'll know. And we go, what are you even talking about? You are so irrelevant. We push them out of the way. Um, it's because they've breathed that breath. They've taken in that experience, right? And right now, I just want to challenge you. Like, I look at you guys in the way that you worship, and my first impression of you is these people are spiritually mature. They're grounded. They know what they're taking in. You're taking in worship. You're taking in testimony. You're taking in the honor of Jesus. Are you writing narratives through your existence as you breathe around the stuff that God's put you inside of? Um, and I just want to tell you that you've always got um, this option. Uh, you either take in um, uh, offense, gossip, slander, perversion, brokenness, lies. Uh, you either take that in or you take in things like hope, kindness, love, mercy. Uh, and whatever you breathe in, whatever you breathe in, you're taking it in, but you're also called to release it as you breathe out. Um, maybe a good way of thinking about it is this. Um, one of the intricate parts um, of us breathing healthily is trees. Thank God you live here. It's like a billion right? Uh, did you know that trees are amazing? They take all the stuff in the air that shouldn't be there. They breathe it in and then they breathe out on us clean oxygen. It's amazing! Like, I love the Bible. I've given my whole life uh, to studying it, uh, to loving it. But I never want to love, the, like, be one of those Christians that only loves the Bible and doesn't love creation too at the same time, right? It's amazing. Even the Bible tells us that the invisible qualities of God are made known through the things in creation. So how can tree every once in a while say thanks for breathing clean air on me? Okay. <laughs> I'll take that one out of the next one. Yeah. <laughs> Think about the trees that were needed, the tree of life. That God said, hey, eat from this tree. Consider what is good about my nature. Consider fruitfulness. Consider awesomeness. He says, just don't do one thing. Don't spend your time eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Can I just ask you today, are you somebody that breathes in the life of God? Like, is there enough time in your day to even understand anything in the heart of God? Or is your day so fixated taking in everything that is good and evil about this world? Formulating opinions about it, and then coming and making worship an escape from your real life, instead of worship being the celebration of the life that you have in privacy, where you take time to wake up every morning and say, good morning, Holy Spirit, it's good to know you today, what's in heart for me today, breathe, breathe, breathe. Today, Kathy was so unbelievably rude to me. Because uh, I'm not as fit as her, we're walking around the, the endless lake that like goes for billions of miles. And uh, she's like, JD, you're breathing really loud. I'm like, you're breathing really loud. <laughs> she said, you're breathing really loud. And, and I'm like, I call myself, I'm like, oh my gosh. She's like, slow your breathing. Just focus, focus on what you're doing. Then in a couple of minutes, that goes back to the wall again. It's pretty fit, you know. Like, <laughs> I just want to say, you slow your breath. Is your breath healthy? Are you breathing in the contamination of spiritual carbon monoxide constantly and trying to put a pure song out? I've had to cut off some relationships 
in my life that are really toxic. And I have someone who has a heart for unity. But there's some people you get around them and you're like, feels like I'm driving to the to the ferry right now. <laughs> Taking in offense. I live in a small town, right? You guys live in a relatively small city too. Secondhand offense is a huge issue in small towns. We hear stories. We breathe them in. And then we breathe them out to our neighbor and to the person down the road. And suddenly a whole bunch of people are offended by a story they have nothing to do with. Since you're breathing healthy, you're breathing in life. Do you know, I've, I've never been able to criticize somebody when I've come straight from a place of worship. But I've been able to criticize people quite easily when I've sat under the offense of seething So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the tree of life. Because if you breathe from the tree of life, you get the life of the tree. Thanks, Dennis. Jesus was amazing. He seemed to be able to breathe in an injustice around him and breathe out forgiveness and wisdom. That's the maturity that I think God's called us to. My dad uh, is an amazing man, and uh, one of the things that I marvel at is that um, he led a movement uh, many, 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 many hundreds of times bigger than the church that I lead right now. And as a kid, I never once, not even one time, heard him say a bad word about a person. He would breathe in all the injustice of ministry. You want to know why I want to be a pastor? It's not because the pay is good. Trust me. It's not because it feels great to stand up as an introvert in front of new people all the time and then analyze whether or not you're worth anything. The reason I want to serve in the body of Christ is because my dad made me fall in love with church. I'm not slagging it. I don't close doors. So choose what you're going to be exposed to. If there's a relationship where every single time you walk away feeling like angry at the world, just say, God, what do I do next with this relationship? Can I win this person over? Can I help make them stop? And this is one example of what might be many examples of your life of what you're breathing. In the name of this, blood pressure. If your blood pressure is too high, you have narrow arteries, you may uh, suffer from some sort of heart disease, stroke, or heart attack. If your blood pressure is low, you may struggle with hypertension, fatigue, blurry vision, loss of consciousness, and depression. And spiritually, I just, want to, um, I just want to frame that for you for a second as I close, and I really do close. Um, are you somebody uh, in which your walk with God uh, is, a, is a point of tension, striving, strain, kind of dizzy desperation to try to find something authentic and meaningful and moving? Or on the other side, is your relationship with God like hypertension and you're bored and you're falling out and you're like, oh my gosh, um, I just feel like I'm unmoved and nothing's happening inside of uh, your life. I'm going to say to you that neither of those extremes are what you have to live in. I know that we have moments in life. I know that sometimes we struggle. I know that sometimes we struggle with things like stress, like we're in a fairly stressed out world. Like, let's just be honest about it, right? Like, we're, we're pretty stressed out. We, we seem to worship busyness. We seem to go like, I'm successful because I'm always doing something, right? 
We also, I know like one of the, the, the things that we've got to be careful of if we're honest in a place that's as beautiful and as privileged and as awesome as a place like this is sometimes we can get apathetic. We can, we can start to just get a little bit bored. We can, we can start to, um, as one author said it, either life is happening to us or we are happening to life. And sometimes I feel like apathy is like, man, I'm just disengaged and I'm falling away. And tonight, I want to give you an opportunity to say uh, there's something about what this weird Australian-American, African guy has said uh, about um, where I might be on the trajectory of my existence. And I need God to not only arrest me around it for a second and say, well, things might be a little bit out of kelter. I need uh, the power of that God, the inner authority of that God, who says uh, to you, do you not know you are my temple? I reside within you. I will guide you, I will steer you, I will nurture you, I will nourish you. Um, I think tonight he's calling us to say something like this in your own words. God, I've wanted all the benefits. I've wanted all the grace. I've wanted all the power. I've wanted all the moving moments. But under that grace, tonight I want to invest a little bit of time into getting healthy again. The thing about things being out of kelter in us is that we have to start developing rhythms again inside of our lives that are very practical but have a potent and powerful outworking in our lives. Ten years after I had my Jesus moment at a winter camp in Los Angeles in 1995, ten years later, I, roughly, I found a photo uh, that was taken um, of that winter camp. And in that photo was me and all my friends, so excited about Jesus. It's like we all got on fire at the same time. Maybe we've kind of found that in youth groups sometimes or whatever. It's like one person goes and then he's like, I don't want to be left out. And suddenly everyone's worshiping and dancing and weeping and wailing. And, you know, that's how it was for me at least. But I had a very definite experience um, that has held me uh, through many highs and lows um, in this life. I had a very powerful experience um, at that camp, and I looked at that photo, and I started to circle um, uh, the, the, the faces of friends um, who had nothing to do with God anymore. Now I know that their story's not over, but there were so many people in that on-fire group that didn't consider uh, their, their, their pulse, they didn't consider where they were at, they didn't consider what they were breathing in, and the trajectory of their life. In that photo, they were in a trajectory that they didn't deal with, and 10 years later, they had nothing to do with serving God and living for the highest form of existence, and that's bringing glory to them. In fact, two of them killed themselves. These were kids that were singing and dancing and weeping and wailing, for the living God with him. But their vitals went. One by one, their vitals went. And I know you guys are smart, and I'm not proposing anything to you tonight that's beyond your comprehension. I know you know what I'm saying. I know you feel what I'm saying. And uh, if you feel anything, uh, consider that God is talking to you from the inside, whispering, saying, please don't make me ill. I just want to help you. Uh, we don't have to get to a point of desperation before you tonight.